Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Brilliant woman who was a rising star in genetic research. It would now be almost like a script from Morse. The investigators swarming over the, the dreaming spires of university land. There was kind of palpable feeling of evil in the air. I was told it was just a massive blood in here. Two decades on from confronting evil. So did you kill your ex-wife Brenda Page? Evil is being confronted by the law. Did you kill her? No. She knew it was coming. He said he was going to kill her. If he killed her, he would do it so that nobody would know. Will his true nature be unmasked? Are you familiar with the tale of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? And can Brenda's own words help secure her killer's fate? A letter of a death foretold. This is the storyteller, Naked Villainy, written, produced and edited by me, Isla Traquair. Dr. Jesse Watt was the 26th person to give evidence and day four was not yet over. Retired police officer Thomas Wood, aged 73, was up next. He was based in Edinburgh at the time and was asked to carry out a number of interviews. The relevance of these will become clearer later, so even though you might be curious as to why these statements are important, trust me, they are. The first statement he was asked to read was from a jeweller named James Hunter Cunningham, who has since died. He states that I am a watchmaker and own the watch repair shop at 3 Forest Road, Edinburgh. On Friday 14th July 1978, I was in my shop when just after 11am, a very tall, thin man came in and asked, and asked if I sold Timex watches. I told him I did not, but directed him to Kennedy's in Teviot Place, Edinburgh. He then left, but returned about 20 minutes later having obviously purchased the watch, looking for a nylon watch strap. I showed him the selection I had in stock, but they were not to his liking, and he left the shop without buying. At no time did he ask me to repair a watch or show me a broken watch. I would describe the man as about six foot to six foot two, very thin, short darkish hair, tan complexion, wearing dark clothing. I think I would know the man again. So the one sentence in that statement includes the sentence, at no time did he ask me to repair a watch or show me a broken watch. Is that correct? That is correct. Thank you. You could put that to one side. He was then asked to read a statement he'd taken from Douglas Mackey Tate. States that the shop at 19 to 20 TV Place, Edinburgh, J. Kennedy's, is owned by my brother-in-law, Mr. Kennedy, witness. And I help him out occasionally in the shop. On the morning of the 14th of July 1978, I was serving in the shop. About 11.20am, a tall, thin man, about six foot, tan complexion, short, dark hair, 
aged about 40, came into the shop. He spoke very politely and asked to see Timex wristwatches. I showed him our display and he selected a chrome-bodied wristwatch with a black plastic strap, model number 160111, priced at £5.95. The one we had on display didn't seem to be working properly, so I got another one from stock. He paid for it and filled in the guarantee there and then with a red ink pen. This form, which is in two parts, has our name on it, the date and model number, and the customer's name. The customer fetches one half of the form and sends it in to Timex in Dundee. The other half he retains. The man mentioned to me that he had owned a Timex before and that it had recently been broken but I did not see any other wristwatch. I think I could identify this man again. Thank you, we could put that aside. The third statement he was asked to read was from Helen Brand, or Hood, who was 68 at the time, and Brenda and Kit's former neighbour in Edinburgh. The statement states that I am a housewife living alone in the upstairs flat here at 44 West Savile Terrace, Edinburgh. And the reason I know Brenda and Christopher is that they lived in the flat below me, 46 Savile Terrace, between 1972 or 1973 and 1975 when their job, jobs took them to Aberdeen. Christopher owned the flat a year or so before they were married and it was when Brenda started going out with Chris that, that I got to know her. They were married in late 1972 or early 1973, I can't quite remember, and they lived together quite happily at first. But after only about six months or so, Brenda started telling me that Chris was hitting her and things like that. Brenda said it was for no reason whatsoever, but I only heard her side of the story. Anyway, I lived directly above them and I never heard anything like a fight or assault taking place at any time. I didn't see any injuries on Brenda either, but I know that about Easter 1973, brackets 20th of April 1973, Brenda was taken into the Royal Infirmary here at Edinburgh suffering from concussion. She was only in for one night for observation, I think. And later she told me that they had been packing to go on holiday when for no apparent reason, Chris had punched her on the head, knocking her out. Chris is a brilliant boy, but he is inclined to be a bit excitable. And I thought the matter would sort itself out. Things went from bad to worse apparently, because when they left Edinburgh in 1975, the marriage was obviously in trouble. Brenda left for Aberdeen in the October to take up a good post as a geneticist 
And it was not until a few months later that Chris followed. After they were in Aberdeen, although I did not see them as often, I kept in touch by telephone and letter. I knew that things were not going well between them, and I wasn't surprised when they were divorced in October last year, brackets 1977. In May of this year, I went up to Aberdeen to stay with Brenda, and she told me that Chris kept asking her to come back. The divorce was on the grounds of cruelty by Chris, and although I don't know what the circumstances were leading up to the divorce, Brenda was frightened to go back to him. The last time I saw Chris was when he graduated PhD at Edinburgh University just a few weeks ago. He came here to visit me and give me a ticket for the graduation ceremony, which I attended. Chris usually visited me when he was in Edinburgh and we sometimes had tea together. As far as I know, Chris returned to Aberdeen immediately after the ceremony, but prior to that, he told me he was staying at Abbey St. Baffins near Duns, Berwickshire, with Mrs. Harbison, who is a friend of his family. That was the last contact I had with Chris. I spoke to Brenda on the phone last Thursday, brackets 13th July 1978. I phoned her to tell her I was coming up to Brota Ferry on holiday and to arrange a meeting. She told me that Chris had been to see her earlier, I presume that day, to ask her to return home. <coughs> she told me that she had told him to get lost. I was on the phone about 7 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. Thank you. And does that accurately record the information <coughs> imparted to you by Mrs Hood? Yes. Thank you very much. All of those statements that you read out are all <coughs> typewritten statements, is that correct? Are they all what, sorry? They're all typewritten. Typewritten, yes, that's right. And none of them are signed? Uh, no, we didn't sign statements at that time. So procedures were different then than they are now? Very much. Presumably, at the time you were taking the statements, you weren't sitting there with a the typewriter. You, Correct. You were writing them. Correct. And then you would transcribe them, as it were, into typescript. Correct. Perhaps to make it easier for everybody else to read. <laughs> Thank you very much. Did you always strive to ensure that the type document would be as accurate as possible? Absolutely, especially in a serious case. Thank you. The next witness, Detective Sergeant William Murdoch, aged 38, was the first serving police officer to give evidence in the trial. Are you attached to the major investigation team? Yes, I am. On Thursday the 8th of January 2015, were you asked uh, to attend a briefing by an inspector guild into the murder uh, inquiry of Brenda Page? Yes, I was. And what was the purpose of you going along to that briefing? It was to brief the major investigation team of that time of the circumstances of Brenda Page's murder from 1978. And was the, the case being revisited <coughs> with a view to 
developing the inquiry? Yes, I was. Uh, was that quite a large-scale event? Yes, it was uh, the start of Police Scotland, and we were reviewing some of the unsolved homicides in our area, the north of Scotland, and we were launching a re well, another look into the Brenda's murder. Yeah, so it's an unresolved homicide, and some case, not only this case, but some cases were revisited, is that right? That's correct. And, and were they effectively a reinvestigation? It was looking at the previous <coughs> investigations done and seeing what we could do further with it, um, with today, today's uh, techniques. And was part of this a consideration as to what further opportunities there might be for assessing the evidence? Yes, there was. That would include, for example, scientific and biological evidence too, is that right? That's correct. Yeah. This is the first time the court had heard the circumstances surrounding the case being reinvestigated and why. DS Murdoch explained he'd been asked to interview Elizabeth Lane in 2015, who was 81 at the time, and has since died. He explained that although the main method of carrying out interviews was similar to 1978, they are now recorded digitally and every page is signed and read back to the witness. Was the process of taking this statement done in a way that, first of all, invited a free recall of events from the witness? Yes, it was. And then that was the task then to get note down what the information was that she had? Yes, it was. Today, which is Thursday, 5th of March, 2015, I've been visited by Detective Constable Murdoch and Constable Duffy. I have been told Police Scotland are reinvestigating the circumstances surrounding the death of Brenda Page, brackets deceased, on 14th July, 1978. I recall providing the police at the time, several statements about Brenda following her death. I've been asked today what I recollect of the events described in my statements. I recall providing an initial detailed statement about Brenda at the Medical Genetics Department, Forrester Hill, the day after she was found dead at her flat. I also provided several further statements to police at my home address which were shorter from memory. Thinking back, I told police that I was a friend and work colleague of Brenda. I told them that Brenda had divorced from her husband, Kit Harrison, due to his cruel treatment of her and that she was frightened from him. I told them about how I was a witness for Brenda's divorce proceedings against Kit on grounds of cruelty. During these proceedings, I testified that Brenda had <coughs> arrived at my house at the time distressed, saying that Kit had kicked her and she had light colored trousers with footmarks on the front of them, which proved it. I had to identify these trousers in court. As well as telling police about the divorce proceedings, I recall giving details for her work as, as an escort business, for an escort business. Okay. I do also recall saying how when Brenda moved to her flat in Allen Street, she gave me a front door key, brackets in her door, for her flat to feed her cats and water her plants when she was away 
on business conferences or visiting family in Ipswich. <clears throat> I would have said that about three weeks before she was found dead, I had given the key back to her so her neighbour could also use it. She told me back then where it would be hidden in case I needed to use it in the future. I can't recall now where, but think it was an outbuilding like a disused toilet. I never had to use it before her death. I also recall telling police that I had a key for Kit's house in Mile End Place. The reason I had this was to feed Brenda's cat and Kit's chickens and canaries. I gave this key to police after Brenda's death. I also told police the last time I saw Brenda, which was the day before she died, as she had been at work at the genetics department. Thank you. I'll just pause there. Um, and does that accurately record what information she gave to you? Yes, it is. Thank you. Did you visit her again on the 19th of March 2015? I did. Could you have before you Crown Production 226, please? I'm just really interested in one part of this. Could you, could you read that, please? When Brenda was away and I was asked, I would call into the flat in the morning before work. I started work at 8 a.m., so it would have been about this time I did the first visit. As I recall, I would go into work a little later when looking after Brenda's cats. I would also call in after work, which would have been about 4.45 p.m. as I finished at 4 p.m. I recall on one occasion I was doing the after work visit when there was a caller at the door, which surprised me. On opening the door, it was Kit Harrison who asked if he could come in. I refused and did not let him in over the threshold. I can't recall now what was said, but he seemed to accept this and left without a carry-on. <clears throat> I later told Brenda, who told me that I was correct not letting him in. I'm sure I would have been, I'm sure I would have told police at the time about this. Thank you. On the, the same page that you just finished reading from, could you read the next part of the statement, please? I would also like to add that that may, I would also like to add that may not be in my original statement, was that after Brenda was away from Kit, I still had a key to Kit's house at 12 Mile End Place. My duties were again to feed animals if he was away. I recall once getting a call from Kit, who was with Brenda at a wedding somewhere in England, asking if I could go round to the house and retrieve details from a wedding invitation, which was stored in a room in the house, which he called his room. He described specifically at the time where this invitation was. It may have been on a mantelpiece. I retrieved the details from the invite, as requested. It was either the venue or time he didn't know. The room he was referring to was possibly on the ground floor, possibly the second room 
in on the right. I think he treated it as a study and, and library. That had been the first time I had been in it. I recall Brenda telling me after she was surprised I was allowed to go into this room as she wasn't allowed in it in as it angered him if she went in. I can't recall what wedding the invitation was in relation, but Brenda must have gone as a companion as they had split up at this time. That's fine. Thank you. Up next was Brian Kennedy, age 79. He was a detective constable in July 1978. He and a colleague were called to attend at 13 Allen Street at around 3.30pm. He couldn't recall meeting Gordon Stephen, Brenda's colleague, but he did remember there was a uniformed officer there. Uh, did you enter the flat? I did. And what did you find? Uh, I went through to the bedroom, which was to the rear off of the lounge, and I saw a, a body lying in the bed there. Did you later discover the identity of this person? I later found out that this was the deceased Brenda Page. Right, thank you. <coughs> Did you go further into the flat beyond that bedroom? No, I didn't. Did it, having regard to the circumstances, uh, did it appear that, that a major investigation was going to be required? Yes, it seemed obvious from the state of the body that uh, she had been brutally attacked. Yes. The court heard he was then instructed to locate Brenda's ex-husband, Kit Harrison, and he and his colleague travelled to Mile End Place, but no one was home. They stayed there and kept the property under observation until he arrived back. He couldn't remember exactly how long they waited. We eventually saw um, a mini countryman draw up outside the house and the occupant come out of the car and enter the home. Could we put on the screen Crown Production 109, the photographs of the vehicle. Is that the type of vehicle you're referring to? That's correct. Okay, do you recall the colour? I think it was green. Thank you. Uh, tell us what happened then. Along with Detective Constable McKechnie, I went to the, the home and uh, knocked on the door and Mr Harrison came to the door and I told him we were there in connection with the death of his ex-wife. Brenda Page. Did you ask him about ownership of the motor car? No, I didn't. Or not to my recollection, anyway. All right. Do you recall what was said to him regarding the death of Brenda Page? We merely advised him that his wife had died. What we was his response to that? It was very unemotional and offhand. Uh, he didn't ask how she had died, where she had died, and it simply said something like, oh dear, that's awful, but in a very matter-of-fact tone. Might it have been, oh my God, how awful? It may well have been. Okay. Did he ask about any of the detail about the circumstances of his wife's death? Nothing at all. What steps were to be taken? By we, you. Well, we have been instructed to arrest Mr. Harrison in connection with the death of his wife. So he was then cautioned and told he would to be taken to the police headquarters for interview. 
And did you do that? I did. Do you recall what he was wearing at the time? Not exactly. Or any conversation about any item of clothing? Not at that particular time. Was he given access to his house before he was taken to the police station? When he was told he was being arrested, he only asked permission to feed his chickens before he left. Right. And was he permitted to do that? Yes. Right. Was he, what station was he taken to? He was taken to police headquarters in Queen Street. Were you with him uh, during this process, that is, transporting him to the police station and then presenting him to the officers yes, there? Yes, we took him to the police station in the police car and we checked him into the, the charge counter. At any stage between you first telling him about the death of his wife and you presenting him to the charge bar officer, did he ask about the circumstances of his wife's death? Not at all. When in the police station, did you ask any questions about any items of clothing he was wearing? I, we took possession of his clothing and I noted that his shoes were particularly new and the soles were barely worn. And I asked him where he had got the shoes and I think he said he'd bought them in Edinburgh. Are you sure he said Edinburgh? I can't be 100% sure. What then happened to Mr Harrison? He was then locked up or put into a cell. Were you instructed to do uh, further work in connection with the inquiry? I was subsequently asked to attend at Myland Avenue again and carry out a thorough search of the home. Right. Was that the same day? Yes. And did you do that? I did. Were you with other colleagues when you did that? I was with the Detective Constable McEchney. Right. Did you find a number of things in the flat? I think we found one or two things yeah. that we took possession of. Right. Did you find anything in the grate of a fire? Yes, I think it was in the bedroom of the house. There was an open fire and in the ashes was uh, the remains of a watch and watch strap. The actual watch strap in an evidence bag was brought to the witness. In case you haven't joined the dots, Kit bought a new watch in Edinburgh hours after Brenda's murder, and the old watch strap was found in his fireplace later that day after he was arrested. Is that the watch strap that you found? That is, it's uh, my signature on the label. Thank you. And could we put photograph 101? Can you confirm that's a photograph of the item you have in the bag? <coughs> yes. Yeah. Why did you take possession of that? 
I thought it very strange that a watch would be discarded and put into a fire. Well, it's a watch strap, is that right? Yes, uh, my recollection was it was a watch with a strap, but obviously there's no watch here, so it was, my memory must have been playing tricks on me. Right, okay. But in any event, you, you, you certainly recovered this item, is that right? Yes. Good? The, the shoes that you discussed, what, what made you think they were new shoes? I remember the, the soles were barely marked at all. And the, the, the tops of them were obviously well, well uh, cared, cared for. Right. Do you recall if there was any indication as to when these shoes had been purchased? No, none at all. All right, all right thank you. Mr. Kennedy, when you went to Mile End Place, the intention, so far as you were concerned, was that you were going to arrest Dr. Harrison. That's correct. Irrespective of anything he did or said. Yes. And did you caution him immediately or did you caution him subsequently? I think my first word to him that we were there in connection with the death of his ex-wife. Did you say with the murder of your ex-wife? No. Did you say anything about uh, how she had been found or anything of that nature? No. So you told him you were there in connection with the death of his ex-wife and his response to that, I think it was suggested to you, was, oh, my God, how awful. That's correct. And did you then caution him? Shortly thereafter, yes. What were you waiting for? Nothing in particular. So why didn't you caution him straight away? I thought he just... Uh... Sorry? I think the first instance was just to introduce ourselves to him and why we were there. Okay, but you've told him that and he said, oh my God, how awful. Yes. Did you then caution him? Short, yes. Shortly what you, thereafter. What, what did you say to him? I would have told him that he, he was being arrested in connection with the murder of his wife, his ex-wife, and he was not obliged to say anything. Everything he did say would be noted and maybe used in evidence. So the caution that you administered to him, the first part of that caution was he did not require to say anything. That's correct. And he then exercised that right to silence? No, he didn't. He said he would have to feed his chickens. Hmm. He exercised the right to silence in relation to what you were there to arrest him for. Well, if you said something, it wasn't in silence, was it? He exercised his right to silence in relation to the matter you were there to arrest him for. I suppose you, yes. The caution that you'd just administered to him? Yes. Thank you. With day four finally concluded, the picture was continuing to build and for the first time an account of how the man who apparently was still in love with Brenda reacted when he was told she had died 
A man in shock? Or a man who already knew she was dead and how? Like everything else, that was something for the jury to decide. In the next episode of the storyteller Naked Villainy, a late-night visitor to Allen Street observed the communal hall light on, as well as a light on in Brenda's flat. The flat was also lit up as well. Was Brenda's murder heard as the visitor exited? On leaving the flat, I heard a noise like someone screaming and a door banging. And the jury see the actual window which had been prized open. It was done very slowly, deliberately and successfully. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate and review as it makes a huge difference to guiding people to hearing this important story. This is an entirely independent production and your support is greatly appreciated. And if you want to hear exclusive interviews, longer episodes and insights, please head to the Patreon. The link is in the show notes. Thank you again for listening. This is a piece of history and you are for the first time in this format witnessing justice being done.